0: All right, welcome to Brew Talk with John and Forrest. I'm John, the chemist. I'm Forrest, the brewer. We are friends from college who decided to record this podcast. We've been reading this book. It's uh, Brewing Science, a Multidisciplinary Approach by Michael Mosher and Kenneth Trantham. What we're doing in this show, sitting down and talking about what we read um, in this book and discussing beer. Today, um, we're going to be going through an overview of brewing but we really want to just give the average person an idea of what a brewer does from the small scale to the large scale why don't we get right into it let's dive right in take a look i like how like the first thing that they start out with like i really enjoyed the introduction like science and the brewer was like the first section of this book right and it's really funny because like you're about to go through all this science and learn about how to make beer, but you're not in this process of learning how to make beer. We're not actually making beer. And in the first paragraph, they like sum it up is like people go through apprenticeships and spend years like mastering these recipes and mastering their equipment. And it almost seems like they're saying like, yeah, you can learn all of this in theory, but putting it to practice is a completely different thing.
1: Yep, exactly. And uh, that's where, you know, home brewers come in and they can try their own hand at it instead of having to try something that someone's perfected over years. You know, maybe someone doesn't like that flavor that's just been honed. Maybe someone wants
0: to branch off. So, yeah, and I think as we go through this book and discuss like the process of making beer step by step um we'll both share our insights on our methods for that particular topic um like you for instance have brewed a lot more than i have both um using extract fermentables and all grain fermentables you know and mostly now you do all grain because that's
1: And so uh, some of these words might be a little confusing. Uh, Fermentables is basically what you make your beer out of. Uh, Yeah, it's like a whole bunch of grains or oats, and you put that in some boiling water, and basically that's your beer.
0: Yeah, barley. We'll have a lot of discussions about two-row barley, and in this, we, <laughs> in the next, in the next episode, actually, we're going to talk about the food for beer, and I imagine we're going to talk about barley quite a bit in that discussion. For Which today. is a grass. It is a grass, just like corn. Yep. But I thought that was cool because it's like, yeah, you can learn all the theory. But doing it in practice is something else, you know, and mastering, adjusting, yeah, adjusting it and becoming a master is something else. And then in science, there's laws and theories that you hear about, and the difference between the two is a uh, law explains the problem. Basically, an example would be like cleaning this, cleaning some apparatus in your brewing process,es re- removes an off flavor. Like uh, for uh, for my case, like let's say if I didn't clean my uh, siphon, I could get an off flavor and then I could clean it and the off flavor would go away. And if I could show that that cleaning it was the reason the off would make the off flavor go away, that would be like a, a law according to them. And then uh theory explains like why something happens. So it would be explained why that off flavor arose from the dirty siphon. So it would be like bacteria from the unclean siphon got into the beer and affected the beer flavor. This is sounding an awful lot like that scientific method. Brewing appeals to me is because it's a, a direct application of chemistry, and you can use a scientific method to experiment with your beer. And the beer that I'm making, I exper- I'll i experiment with. Um, and then you get to taste the fruits of your labor, and that's awesome. The best
1: part about it, doing your own home brew, is your f- fruits of your labor, tasting what you've crafted specifically to your flavor profile.
0: Yep. So, you know, before we take a quick break, we kind of were just talking about the science of beer, who we are, getting you guys introduced to what we're going to be talking about. Um, so stick around. We'll be right back.
1: Yeah, and then we'll be talking about what's beer.
0: I liked this. I got... Going back through this chapter today actually made me kind of stoked. I read the history a little bit closer just because I kind of skimmed over it before. Oh,
1: that was the some of the good stuff. That's what got me into the book because they gave me such rich history at the beginning.
0: And then beat you over the head with equations for the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, it tricked my ass so quick. <laughs> Who knew?
0: Science and beers. Ugh. Yeah, I'm going to get a... I'll get one of my beers and a few. What are you drinking there? I'm drinking um, one of Pelican
1: Bays. It's the Hazy Rock Juicy IPA.
0: When did we discover beer for ourselves? When was it like, oh, this is a good thing. This is something I want to have around all the time and drink. <sighs> well, I mean, I-, I liked beers,
1: you know, like Coors and things like you're saying and stuff like that. But I think the first beer that I ever, like, fell in love with and that made me, like, beer is good uh, was a beat of Purple Haze. And I don't remember how old I was, but I remember getting it on the way to the beach one day with one of my buddies. And we got a six-pack and it blew my fucking mind how good that was. And it was awesome. The best day at the beach, best beer. And it's hard to find. I found it a couple times at Humboldt's BevMo but I looked again last time I was down there and I, I couldn't find that particular beta.
0: Yeah. So for me, it was kind of like uh, learning that beer was not necessarily for getting drunk. You did not have to drink it to get drunk. And that was kind of a lesson I learned. So the first craft beers I was drinking were really light, mm-hmm. lost coasts, uh, great white. But one day I thought, I wanted to try some Sonoma County beer, and I was going for alcohol, like high alcohol, not knowing, just being kind of naive. And I bought Bear Republic Racer 5. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. I feel like that beer taught me a lot. Just the first one that I had taught me quite a bit about, like, beer is not just a chaser. It's not just something that you drink 10 cans of or a 12-pack of that tastes like water. Beer can exactly. be something that you sit down and drink and enjoy. You savor and sip. And you savor. And that was kind of it for me, was this Bear Republic Racer 5. Just, it's like, what, 8%, 9% alcohol, something crazy, like a really dark IPA, I think.
1: That's funny.
0: Let's see what that is.
1: Yeah, of Purple Haze is much lighter than that. I think it's maybe a 4 to 6%. It's a fruit beer. It's like a raspberry
0: wheat beer. Ooh. 7.5. <sighs> no, when I was in Humboldt, I had one go-to, and that was the Steelhead Pale Ale. Mm-hmm. Nine times out of 10. Gosh, Humboldt had some good sours down there. Yeah, we kind of cut our, like, I think we kind of grew up in a a region or went to college in a region that had some amazing beer that it was hard not to learn about beer. That's true. What to like. I mean, we did kind of go, we came of age during the IPA Boom. boom, just the boom of IPAs from the West Coast. And, you know, now people are starting to see this, like, huge rise in, like, the hazy IPAs are huge now. You know? Isn't the
1: hazy the East Coast response to the uh, West Coast like double IPA and everything
0: like extra strong? I think that's what it's referred to as, right? Is a East Coast pale IPA or
1: yeah, I, I believe so.
0: Yeah. So that's cool. We're actually starting to talk about beer types and getting into some nitty gritty details. And what's beer? So it's just fermented malted cereals.
1: Beor. Beor. I just don't know how to pronounce Old English. <laughs> Probably nothing like Modern English, though. So. Or it could be the Middle Dutch. Uh, so it's clear that beer is different from wine. Yeah, why? Well, beer, you have to mash and like, you know.
0: Like mash, like crush it with your feet? I thought you crushed crush grapes. You mash the grapes up. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point.
1: Uh, mash is a term for when you put in hot water on top of your milled grains and then you let it sit for a certain amount of time
0: and turn it into wort oh so that's where the starches get converted into sugar yep from your so grain you're getting you're getting starch out of like the energy pocket of the grain turning those into sugar so it's not boiling water Either, no, right? no,
1: it's lower than boiling cuz boiling's at like 212 Fahrenheit and usually you get around 150 for under 160 mashing. for a mash, right? Y- yeah, 150-160, usually no higher than 170. It depends on the grains and the recipe. Totally.
0: Okay, so you're doing a little uh bio you're doing a little biology there as well. It's not just heat. There's bio there's chemical biology stuff going on as well. To get the starch out but that's for another day we'll talk about that later Yep. Yeah, but basically
1: that's what you do with beer where wine it already has the sugars there once the grapes are crushed and you have the juice out so you just need to pitch some yeast in there and let that ferment
0: okay so the sugars are already fermentable yep where you have to make the you have to get the fermentable sugars out of the grain by brewing it yep so this is kind of like coffee so you can kind of think about coffee this way too it's kind of like a brewing where you're like soaking the coffee beans in hot water to extract off the coffee flavors you want to drink exactly in this case you're trying to extract the sugar off of the grain exactly beat it to yeast I guess and turn it into alcohol that's how we do it wine is also just like mead it's a honey wine
1: which is a mead
0: yeah, and you can add all kinds of fruit and other flavors as well, right? Of course, and that's the
1: best part about it, you know, making all your own flavors and styles.
0: So this is going to be a, a reoccurring theme where we bring up meads quite a bit, because Forrest is a mead man. He Love it. makes a lot of meads, so I'm going to ask him a few questions about meads throughout this. Um, does adding fruit and different flavors to the mead increase its diastatic power? Do you remember diastatic? So diastatic is the amount of potential alcohol that can be made by the sugars in the wort.
1: And well, so so it, that's a tricky question. to answer, though, because it depends on your yeast, because all yeast has a tolerance too on how much alcohol it will produce. But yes, the, like clearly, yes. Uh, Uh, different fruits have different amount of sugars in them. And depending on how much honey you use, that's adding the sugar as well. So you have multiple sources of sugar, which will increase your diastatic power. That is fermentable sugar. But depending how much, what type of yeast you're using, it may not be fermented sugar. It might just be residual sugars left over and then a sweetener in your mead.
0: Do you usually have your meads like um, dry or sweet?
1: I aim for dry. Sometimes they end up a little sweet because of my miscalculations, but uh, I aim for dry because usually the fruit notes just take over and it still comes through as you're getting something sweet, even though it ends up very
0: dry and tannin filled. Okay, sweet. So wine and beer are different. Very. Wine seems easier to make. Super duper lots easier. Okay, cool. Um basically throw your fruit in a bottle, shake it up, throw in the you yeast. Know, let let's be honest.
1: If you wanted to make wine, you just do it super easy. You just buy a jug of juice from the store, pour in your yeast, and put an airlock right on top of that jug. Bam. We call that hooch.
0: <laughs> so speaking of like ingenuity in beer brewing and making beer and alcohol, it looks like The first beer recipe that we've seen like written was about 4,000 years ago, a little bit less than 4,000 years ago, 3,700 years ago. So you're saying
1: that would be approximately in 1700 BC sometime.
0: Yeah, exactly. So 3,500, 3,600 years ago, Mesopotamia. But something that's cool is that China may have had a recipe or may have had beer not a recipe, 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BCE, What? What? You have a brewery near you named after the goddess of beer, Ninkasi. That's in Portland, I believe. Or is it? Yeah, I believe it's in Portland. So Ninkasi was a deity worshipped by Sumerians. So Middle Eastern region. And she was the goddess of beer, and now there's uh, breweries named after her in hopes that she blesses them with good-flavored beer. And
1: Yeah, I enjoyed their stuff. I still have it on occasion because it's so close. It's readily available. The beer uh, beer used to be called Ka by the Sumerians. That was fun. But the best one was the ancient Egyptians.
0: Boozer! I like uh, sikra.
1: Sick that was Babylonian.
0: I always think of like, you know, we just call it beer all the time or booze or something like that, but it would be fun to use one of these old terms once in a while. Throw in some lingo. Grab me a booza from the, or at least like maybe incorporate it in the name of a brew. Try to brew an ancient recipe and then call it some ancient name that would have been like appropriate for the time.
1: Oh, that's what I'm going to do. Plus one booza.
0: Yeah, and you just to use like try to use an old recipe with some corn and and shit like that.
1: Whatever the ancient Egyptians had or Sumerians had, it, it's got to be something. Just throw bread in there, raw bread. That's probably what they were doing, because at the time, you know, they didn't really know how to make beer. They just knew it came from bread, so they would just mix bread soup. And it would ferment for them. <laughs> so it'd be gritty. And that's also kind of why it's called liquid bread to this day, you know, in Germany. And why it's sold as a food and you can get it all hours of the day.
0: So I just want to touch on volumes because we're going to talk about different volumes throughout this podcast, you know. And then so, like, typically we think about beer as, as far as a pint goes and a bottle of beer is about a pint. And a can of beer is about a pint, but not quite. Pints are kind of bigger than that. Um, but then the home brewer, like you and I brew five-gallon batches when we brew.
1: Yep, and then I use kegs, but I don't use full kegs. I use uh,
0: Cornelius kegs. So a Cornelius keg is like a soda keg. That yes. soda used to come in in like the 70s and 80s before the bag in the box, the modern bag in the box.
1: Yep, also known as
0: a corny keg corny keg exactly yep. and then beer kegs are slightly different different attachments different filling procedure yep. that's more advantageous for a brewery to fill than a home brewer to fill would be my yep. my guess or what i my understanding of it um so in the united states a barrel of beer is about 31 gallons so for a home brewer to make a barrel of beer they need to brew like about six batches of beer to get to a barrel their first Mm -hmm. barrel so many barrels have you done Forrest? well
1: uh we're gonna have to edit this out if this ever goes live because uh legally i'm only allowed to brew 200 gallons in a single calendar year for my home
0: well you don't have to tell me how long it took you over what you don't have to tell me over the period of time you just can tell me how many barrels you've done just a raw number
1: a uh, guesstimation of actual barrels, then, I would have to say I've done five barrels. I mean, let's say five, because then I have I've, I have five, well, not just all of beer, but of mead, too. Because I had 15 gallons just sitting here,
0: okay. like,
1: just yesterday. And so that was half of a barrel right there.
0: Uh, then there's other measurements for liquids, but barrels and pints are probably the most important for us and probably how we'll describe it. Sometimes liters, just for general purposes, liters and gallons are easy to use. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So, that's pretty cool. We don't use the old measurements like the pin, the firkin, the kilderkin. Do, do homebrew stores, when they're measuring out stuff, use weird measurements? No, and now uh, usually I just buy my grain in the bag, uh,
1: except specialty grain. Or I buy the bag unless it's specialty grain. Then I get it like per pound or per ounce, whatever I'm doing.
0: Um, other really a really important thing for beer, and then we're going to go to a break, and it's just something that's going to come up again and again and again, is temperature and heat.
1: Got to control it. It doesn't measure, matter how you measure it. Cal, Kelvin, Calvin, whatever his name is, Celsius, Fahrenheit. And there's something else, too, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, what else is there, though? There's There's three scales. I thought there was a fourth one for some reason. Okay. Yeah, those three. We usually use Fahrenheit, but John is a scientist, so he does drop in that Celsius. The Kelvin is rare that we'll talk about.
0: So, Forrest, you live in Oregon?
1: I do. You live in Michigan? I do. (laughs) East coast, west coast. Very close to Detroit. Right down the road from Portland, just hour and a half away.
0: So we started doing this over <laughs> Zoom. Is it Zoom? It during, is Zoom. During coronavirus. This is like our coronavirus project was working on this podcast. So uh reading and recording. And you know that's
1: really all that matters you know is that you're
0: happy with it.
1: You know, it's not wasted. You know it's like oh I'm pouring it down. It's just undrinkable, you know, so that's perfect. <laughs> you know, home brewing.
0: Uh, awesome. I see the limitation, the limitation of doing extract. So, we've, we've kind of touched on grains and how to brew grains. Realistically, I use extract, which the grains are already, the sugar's already extracted. Yep. You the just have those white, dark, or whatever. Yeah, you get, you know, kind of one type that you get. And, like, you know, you can alter things with hops You know, there's other extracts for sure but right.
1: you need to control your grains that's really what makes a beer weight is actually very important in beer because you know you, you have to weigh the amount of grains you have and if you're a home brewer the easiest way to measure water is not by trying to measure you know gallons at a time it's just putting it on a scale and seeing how much that weighs yep i, I actually have a floor scale that i just throw one of the little uh heat mats on And, like, you know, just to scale that for a person that you stand on. throw one of the little heat mats on there and put the pot right down on there. Gives me a readout and I know where I'm at. Yeah, I can't wait for you to get into all grain. It's going to be so good for you.
0: What was this? Yes, Virginia. Beer contains alcohol. Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, It it looks like people didn't really realize that beer had alcohol in it because it had such a small amount. And it was like a good drink that didn't spoil. Kind of like kombucha like a low alcoholic drink like kombucha that doesn't really spoil that easy. And then once they start getting better at it, it starts getting you tipsy. So this is what makes like good brewers a good brewer, right? Is they have the beer that gets you the drunkest. They got the best yeast on their boiling stick or whatever. Uh, This is basically,
1: yeah. And you know what? This is how then they started to measure how blood alcohol content and how much is too much and how you have to have the government warning and all.
0: Bottles being sold. Yep. America's had kind of a turbid relationship with alcohol. You know, we still feel the effects of it. Like you were saying, you know, you can't really discuss, or you you have a limit to the amount that you're allowed to brew per year. You know, and that all kind of comes out of these like stringent alcohol laws that the U.S. has. I think it was only in like as recent as
1: 2014 that Oregon started to allow home brewing before I think it was against the law. So, I mean, it's like, yeah, they have all these laws from prohibition era that uh, yeah, America has problems with alcohol,
0: yeah, I've heard about like um, I've heard about like brewing competitions and stuff like that, in some states not being able to happen because the states um, home brewing laws don't allow for on-site sales of some beers or serving of alcohol at certain types of venues. And those venues include the venues that these types of competitions would be held at.
1: Yep. So you know how many drinks that I can have legally uh, for my blood alcohol content based on my gender and weight? Like one
0: or two probably.
1: Uh, well, if I want to be at 0.0, Six, you know, which is below the limit of 0.08. Yeah, I'm at two.
0: I'm at three. I can have one more than you. Honestly, though, dude, I wouldn't even drive after three.
1: Look, I'm going to be clear and say it. If you're listening to this, don't drink and drive under any conditions. Even one drink can cause an accident. So, a short history of beer. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's pretty short.
0: Okay. And then uh then it basically having... caught on because people liked it and it was safe to drink. Well, it caught it caught on
1: and who was the biggest nation in the world at the time, spreading everything fucking everywhere. I guess not a nation, they were an empire. The Romans. Yeah. They built roads and they traded and they brought everyone beer and their wines and they're like, This is good. Let's make some more of this. And then styles blended and
0: Queaved. Yeah, but these fermented drinks basically are safe to drink, so they catch on all over the place. Exactly. And instead of water, which can go bad, you know, these would stay uh,
1: good for you uh, know long periods of time. They can make it stronger, even instead of making their beers with water, they'd make their beers with other beer and give them super beers for the travels. Super beer.
0: So that actually raises a pretty interesting question for me. Um, have you ever added liquor to one of your beers to increase the
1: alcohol? So there was one recipe that I was considering doing, uh-huh. but I decided against it because it called for a whole 750 milliliter bottle of rum to be added to it. And it was for uh, pirate beer. And I was like, dear Lord. I mean, that's not a lot of liquor for a whole five gallon batch, but it brought it up to like 11% or 12% beer. And I'm like, I don't know if I want five gallons, (laughs) you know, just killer beer ready to drink on tap. I mean, that's not something I want to do every day. I want something I can drink, you know, out of the keg, enjoy it. So I I try to keep my uh, percentages lower.
0: Just because you can, should you? You know exactly. Like you can. and there might be you know occasions for a celebration, you know like a Christmas beer when you're gonna have the whole family. And mm-hmm. you want to get them liquored up.
1: Well let me start this off first. Group used to be the way that we brewed beer, like we as humans way right. long yeah. ago. Then that what became taxed and secured by monarchies and higher ups. so people started looking for alternative methods. and then we came to Hops and now I lost my train of thought because I just needed to get to Hops and I forgot what I was going to mention here
0: so Groot was like kind of a thing that um, governments or whatever you want to call them I don't know if you can they're like governments I guess but these feudal lords or whatever would make brewers put in their beer to kind of impose a tax and to limit the types of flavors that were allowed for beer so that they couldn't have like run away with the market, like somebody run away with the market with their own recipe and stuff like that. Right. Like it was just a way of normalizing things, oversight,
1: con- controlling. That's why hops were started to be, started to be used because, you know, it gave, uh, I guess not. I don't know if it was similar flavors, but it gave imparted bitter flavors and it also allowed it allowed it the beer to be uh, transported and stored for longer periods of time um you know what in germany not in germany in england i don't remember how recent it was but beer wasn't called beer unless it had hops specifically put into it otherwise it was just an ale but now that word is kind of interchangeable because it's more modernized but it had to be have hops in it to be a beer otherwise it was just an ale
0: which is weird because we associate ale with like hoppy beers today yeah
1: yeah I just associate ale and beer as the exact same thing now, like when I hear it, it's like, oh yeah, they're learning beer. about beers yeah. too. I understand what an ale is, you know, it's just a more rich you know multi feel instead of hoppy feel in your mouth, and so it's like I understand where they're coming from if they want to call it an ale, but yeah
0: what well, but what about i p a s which are very hoppy? those are ales well. Those are India pale ales. So
1: what separates uh, them? I have no clue. I, I guess it's
0: very it's difficult. difficult. <sighs> uh, this lingo. Yeah. Yeah. I, I try to like put them in the boxes and as it well. It doesn't work. It doesn't work with beer. Hard. beers, just beer. We will define like, we are going to define what an ale and uh, lager are, and the difference between that. And that ends up being like the two big branches of beer, and they're separated by the yeast. And then within those things, within those branches comes a bunch of different flavors and variations and amalgams of the two. And a lot of times the recipes are the same, except for how yeah, you treat and the then yeast. the temperatures too. Very similar. So I think that's what separates the ale. Like, you know, these these early early European variants are trying to figure out like what the difference is, but it really comes to like uh microbiology needs to come in and explain like what yeasts are, what's happening in the fermentation process for beer to really define its categories and understand why beer falls into these different categories it becomes kind of a scientific thing, than what. You know, some government who's trying to tax one thing is deciding versus taxing another thing. You know what I mean?
1: So you need to, it. Looks like you need to get another beer. Maybe we should take another quick break. So you know, lines are often chosen for navy ships to prevent scurvy. Because limes are chosen, sailors were often known as limeys. Limeys? What does this have to do with beer? Oh well, you just have to consider storage and how it would be stored for long voyages, and so that's why they used hops
0: and things. So other fruit probably could prevent scurvy, but citrus fruit particularly well, right? That's is that the reason why I'm not sure behind why yeah. I chose that. Well, it's better than the grog
1: sucking down those limes. You'd have to do it to be, drink some of the grog, the grog that would go bad with algae in it. You mix that with oh, is grog like beer? No, made grog from is Walmart? liquor, it's rum that's mixed with the dirty algae water and some other spices to chase off the horrible algae rotting flavor. And the rum was there to sterilize it. And then you just chase it down with the lime afterwards. Like you're doing a shot. You drink your grog, suck on a lime.
0: <laughs> Why would you be a sailor back in the day? In the, new, in the new world or the colonies, the American colonies, they were like, they were enacting laws to make sure beer was good because they didn't want just any old brewer showing up trying to sell their second-rate product they were pretty particular about their they beer were. At this point. and
1: i think a problem was that when they got to the new world they couldn't get the grain growing and they couldn't make their beer the traditional way that they had intended
0: <laughs> so like did that change like uh did they start using more corn or they changed the barley yeah actually the they, native
1: wasn't... americans showed them how to brew their version of beer that they had always been making using corn so then that's where Uh, The modern American beer came where it has a mix of the traditional, you know, grains from England that they were using with the corn and, like, the cereal grains here in America.
0: So corn – you do, like, a 75% about barley, 25% corn in these types of recipes, you you think? the Native
1: Americans were using all corn. They weren't using any grain at all, and so –
0: what was the name of this? Uh, there was a name for this?
1: Yeah, uh, I, I don't have the name of it in front of me, but uh, I, th- I think they still make it in South America. And the way that you have to break out the sugars in the corn is you actually have to chew the kernels and spit them out. And so you're always going to have a little bit of that brewer's spit <laughs> in your corn. So if I'm making it, I don't care, but I'm going to get milled corn nowadays, you know, or flaked corn.
0: Absolutely. And back in the... Day, some of this, and even today, some of these like areas where you can contaminate your beer are taken care of during uh, the boiling step, which happens after you'd get done doing your uh, mashing. Yeah, after you get done making your mash. Oh, Hamilton's not
1: in this book, well, bro. George Washington is, and he was quite the skilled brewer. After he chopped down those cherry trees and made room for all his wheat and grain, whew, you know what I hate. Maine and the main laws
0: what are the main laws they have stringent alcohol laws about what you can and can't brew uh,
1: those are or no it was 1851 i think is when they adopted it but that's where they outlawed beer it's like the prohibition in 1855 12 more states followed suit and they're like oh we like the main
0: laws make beer illegal I guess they do, like, they take a little bit of break so the country can go to war. Uh, Time out on temperance. We're going to war. Wait, was there a Prohibition before Prohibition? Yeah, this is before Prohibition. Prohibition's not really I didn't like know the that Maine was like,
1: shit, like. I didn't, I didn't know, know that mean, Maine was
0: hating on liquor way before Prohibition. Like, they were paused before the Civil War, and then the movement started back up after the Civil War and after the rebuilding of the country started again. What made, once they had
1: Prohibition, and then it was repealed in the 30s, what happened to make it repealed? Was it people just looking for a stiff one, or is there just so much underground bootlegging going on, they're like, yeah, let's just make it legal. It's
0: not even a point making it illegal anymore? Also the Great Depression? Wasn't that the... Oh, it was. But I think at that point, like, I think most Americans in America was kind of realizing that, like, these prohibitions on stuff just didn't work anyway as well, right? There's a lot of factors that go into the repealing of an amendment because it's yeah. an amendment in the first place. Well, there were so many – so little breweries back in America that It would have been so nice
1: to start off because there were under 100 breweries in the 1970s.
0: 1917, we're in the middle of World War I.
1: Oh, and then yeah, there's a lot of anti-German uh, sentiment Germany.
0: going on. There's anti-German sentiment in America at the time. They have legal rights to be open. Well, not if we freaking make an amendment to stop them. Most real Americans don't need alcohol anyway. We're freaking. So I think that you know the the market for beer. You know, there's a lot of things to consider. You know, there's a market for beer. There's historical. Uh, events that are happening, there's geopolitical and local political events that are occurring that drive America towards prohibition and there's racism and all kinds of stuff that goes along with the way that that came about and then there's the same types of factors that end it, which is interesting. I highly recommend watching the Ken Burns documentary on prohibition. It's really good.
1: You know who the best president ever for beer was? The greatest president for the home brewer. I think he might still be alive. Yeah,
0: is he still alive? Jimmy Carter? He's up there. Yeah, he's still alive. He's yeah, kicking. he's up he there. But yeah, homes. Jimmy
1: Carter was the one that enacted like, the him. home brewing act.
0: So this, there's a list of the top 10 breweries in 1980. This book was written in like 2017 or something like that. We've kind of gotten to, we've gotten through like a pretty big overview of beer, um, brewing. We've talked, touched on a lot of different topics. I hope you guys are going to only get better. Um, In this podcast, we're, from here on out, we're going to just be talking about how to make beer how to make the first we're going to talk about considerations for the type of beer you want and then we're going to get into the ingredients and then we're going to go through all the steps for the process in pretty good detail oh this sounds tasty i'm getting thirsty i'm getting thirsty as well let's go have a beer we'll talk to you guys next time see y'all later i'm brew talk with john forrest (laughs) i'm just going to delete i'll mute that shit one last thing before we go i wanted to thank frank hughes for doing the art for brew talk with john and forrest another piece of housekeeping i didn't want to forget is that you can get a hold of us on gmail by emailing brew talk with john and forrest or finding us on instagram at brew talk with john and forrest